welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you joined us this morning. If you have uh, children, kindergarten to third grade that are going down for Children's Church, they can uh, dismiss out the back uh, with Miss Melody. Uh, if you have older children that are staying and would like to follow along, there are sermon notes for kids on that back table. Uh, they are more than welcome to grab one of those. They fill it out. Uh, they come see me afterwards and I'll have some uh, candy for them. Uh, well, we are uh, currently in the midst of a series that we're calling Shining Like Stars in Babylon. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 today, and it's a big chapter, so we're going to kind of um, skim our way through it at times. So if you would like, if you don't have a Bible and like to grab a Bible, there's some on the back uh, table. Um, feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible. It can be yours, uh, but it might be helpful as we go through this, um, this sermon. Well, throughout this series, we have been looking at the lives of those that were exiled to Babylon from Israel in the 6th century B.C., uh, we've talked about how this is significant and relevant today because we, like the Jewish exiles, are called to live out our faith in a world and in a culture that does not think and believe in God like we do. So the stories from this time period and the messages from God uh, to these exiles in Babylon correspond with the New Testament and with God's message for us today. Our theme verse for this series has been Daniel 12:3, which reads, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Our call as we live out our lives and our faith in this world is to shine like stars as we follow God and to lead those around us to faith, to righteousness, to eternal life, which is found in Jesus alone. That was the call for the exiles in Babylon, and that is a call for us today, to shine and point people to the one true God. These past two weeks, we've been in the book of Jeremiah, who was God's prophet during that time period. And God has spoken through Jeremiah to remind us of the challenges of exile and that they are all for God's glory. Last week, uh, God took his people, uh, we saw that God took his people to exile with purpose. And in the same way, God has you where you are today with purpose. And that purpose, that calling is not just to isolate and live for ourselves on this earth, but we have a call to love our community, to pray for our community, to make our community better and to share Jesus with our community. God has you where you are with a purpose. He has plans and a mission for your life. And he is the one true God that can be trusted and relied upon no matter what we are walking through. Today we're going to head back to the book of Daniel. And we're going to see how the faith of Daniel and his friends in the midst of the world would lead people to the knowledge and the truth of the one true God. I'm going to pray for us now and then we are going to walk through the passage uh, the rest of this morning. So dear Lord, we thank you um, for this passage of scripture, Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather in worship. God, we thank you that you are the one true God and that you alone are wise and powerful. Lord, we thank you that you can be trusted and relied upon in this world. God, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to what it is that you have for us today. God, that we would be open and available to what you want to teach us, Lord, and that we would have the courage to go and live out our faith in this world. God, we love you and we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. 
So at this point, the king's advisors, his religious spokespeople, say to King Nebuchadnezzar, just tell us your dream and we will interpret it for you. That's what these guys did. They took dreams and symbols and signs and they interpreted them into broad messages about the universe. These guys would have books uh, that told them what different things meant and then they would weave them into predictions about the future. These guys were the modern day fortune tellers, palm readers, horoscope forecast, fortune cookies of the 6th century B.C. You would give them some broad information and they would spit out a general future prediction that was so broad that it had to come true. But they didn't, what we're going to see is they had no real foresight uh, into the things of God. Verse 5, the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. So Nebuchadnezzar shows some wisdom here. He has heard their explanations in the past over and over, and he is looking for some real insight, some real answers. And so he tells the wise men that he's not going to tell them his dream, but instead he wants, their, he wants to know that their insights are real, so they must tell him what he dreamed and what it meant. And he says if you can't do that or if you try and just make it up, then the penalty is death. But if on the flip side you really do have answers, you really are wise in these ways, then rewards and honors await. And so the servants, they start reeling because they know they can't do this. They don't know what he dreams. They don't really have answers and solutions. I love what Nebuchadnezzar says. You are just stalling. Do you have answers or not? Verse 10. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. So these wise men say to the king, this task is impossible, for only God could answer your request. And in this we see that ultimately man, science, and man-made religion cannot provide answers or solutions to our greatest questions. In the New Testament, Jesus would say it this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Our world tells us there are multiple ways to heaven and to God, but the Bible says there are not multiple truths and paths, and paths, but God alone has the answers and the solutions. Every other person, pursuit, religion, occupation, and pleasure will ultimately leave us empty and looking for more. It is Jesus alone that offers life, purpose, and fulfillment. Joseph Stice in his commentary writes on Daniel, This proves to me in brief utterance that all the religions, arts, sciences, philosophies, attainments, and powers of man, apart from God's inspired prophets and the all-glorious Jesus, are but emptiness and vanity as regards to any true and adequate knowledge of the purposes and will of God or the destinies of man. So these men, they are supposed to have the answers, and they have nothing. It is God alone we're going to see that has the answers. Back to the story. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. We saw this back in Daniel 1, but once again, Daniel doesn't try to work around the system, but he speaks with wisdom and tact to his commander. 
He doesn't run. He doesn't hide. He doesn't go to another authority. But instead, he works through and within the system of Babylon. He trusts God's authority and wisdom even over the authority of worldly leaders. Verse 15, Daniel asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked him for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matters to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So our first point today is this, and it's, it's simply this. There is a God in heaven, and he alone is God. <clears throat> the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers had no answers for the king. They could put forth their best guesses, but they didn't have any real answers. In the same way, the world, man-made religion, science, all offers theories and hypotheses to life's great questions. But none of them hold the real answers. It is God alone who created things, who holds all things in his hands, who is not bound by time, who is all-powerful and has all wisdom and can provide all answers. In Babylon, they viewed the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers as the wise men. But God, we see, is clearly differentiating himself from them and their practices. God is greater and he alone is God. I love verse 18. Daniel returned to his friends and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. This request is based on a profound and foundational truth. There is a God in heaven and that God in heaven is our hope. He has our answers. He is our foundation in all situations. There is a God in heaven and he alone is God. That truth, that reality is what our faith is based on. That truth is where we turn in times of trial. That truth is where we turn in times of fear. That truth is where we turn in times of questions. That hope is what keeps us grounded in good times and time of pride. There is a God in heaven, and he alone is God. He alone is creator. He alone is sustainer. He alone is sovereign. He alone knows me. He alone created me, and he alone loves me so much that he would give his life for me. My hope, my future, my life in this world rest in the God of heaven's hands. There is a God in heaven, and he alone is God. We're going to see this theme throughout the rest of the book of Daniel, but God alone is God, and he is greater than the things of this world, the philosophies of this world, and the man-made religions of this world. It's in God alone that there are answers, wisdom, and power. And to him alone, as we just sang, is praise and glory deserved. So no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you may go through in the future, you can rest in the truth that there is a God in heaven, and he alone is God. And you can rest in the truth that that God is not indifferent. He is not hostile towards you. But there is a God in heaven, and he loves you, and he cares deeply for you. And he has made a way for you to spend eternity within him in heaven one day. There is a God in heaven and he is good and he loves you. So God in the night provides the answers to Daniel. And then that leads to Daniel's praise. And we see that uh, starting in verse 19. It says, then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. 
He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the kingdom. So our second point is this. There is a God in heaven, and he is wise and powerful. Daniel here praises God for who he is, and who God is is wise and powerful. God not only has power over the natural world, but he also has power over the kings and the nations of the world. It is God who holds all wisdom, and it is God who gives wisdom to those that are his and ask. One more note on verse 18 that we, we mentioned earlier, but note what Daniel and his friend's solution was when they needed help, when they needed wisdom, when they needed answers. They didn't immediately go to the greatest philosophers and wise men of the day. No, they had already seen their inadequacy. Instead, Daniel and his friends, they went and they prayed earnestly to the one true God in heaven that was their only hope and who was the only one that could provide them with answers with truth. And I know on Sunday mornings, we all know that our first response to any trial, to any situation, any opportunity in our life should be prayer. We know that's the Sunday school answer. But for most of us, that is not the first place we turn. Instead, it's one of the last places we turn. Instead of turning to God, we, like Nebuchadnezzar, when trial comes, we turn to the world. We turn to our version of the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers of our day. Our first instinct is to open our phone and ask Google or to uh, read the blogs on the subject or to scroll social media or maybe even ask a friend. And then if they all fail, like Nebuchadnezzar's wise men, then we turn to prayer or turn to the Bible. What we see here is that the, that the God of heaven should not be our last resort, but instead he should be the first place we turn. Because he alone has the wisdom we need, and he alone has the power to help. In times of crisis, turn to prayer. But don't just bear the burden on your own, but find a few close friends you trust to join you in prayer. Share that burden and ask them to join you earnestly in prayer. That's what Daniel does with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's great comfort to know that you have fellow friends and believers praying for you. And there is great power in the prayers of many. That's why we end uh, every small group Bible study by praying for one another. It's not to gather the gossip, but it's to lift up each other throughout the week and to be a part of God's moving in our lives. So when trial hits, pray and share that burden, that request with a few trusted friends that you know will join you in prayer. So that's what Daniel does when he is faced with the impossible. So there is a God in heaven, and he alone is God, and he is wise, and he is powerful. Verse 26. Then the king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in the bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. So God reveals the dream and the interpretation to Daniel. 
And then Daniel goes before the king with God's answer. I first want to note a couple of things here that are our bonus mini points for you. Uh, first of all, God gave Daniel the answer, and Daniel had the courage to go before the king and share that answer. So often, God reveals to us the right thing to do or the wisdom we need, but we fail to follow through. It takes courage to follow God. It takes courage to share his wisdom. It takes courage to trust God in this world. Daniel takes the wisdom revealed to him by God, and he goes before the king with his message. The king who could have killed him with one word. And he boldly reveals God's wisdom, trusting the results to God. Friends, there are some of you that know what God is calling you to do, and you just need to have the courage to trust God and trust his provision. There are some of you here that God is calling you to share his wisdom of salvation with a friend or a family member, but you are worried about how they may respond. You need his courage to share his wisdom. When God gives us answers, when he calls us to do something, we can trust that he alone is God. And he not only gives us wisdom, but he has the power to provide in this situation as well. The second thing we see here is Daniel's humility. God had provided Daniel with the answer to the king's request, and power and prestige and riches awaited Daniel. He could have easily went into the king and left God out of the equation. He could have taken credit for the gift of wisdom and knowledge that God had given him. But instead, Daniel took time to give the glory to God and to make God's name known. Friends, we are a blessed people with a great deal of talent, resources, and gifting. It is really easy to take the credit for what God has given us. But our giftings, our talents, our resources are not given to us for our glory. But they are given to us so that we can use them to give God glory and make him known. God loves you. He has blessed you. It is your call to use those giftings for God's glory, to honor him and make him known. All right, let's go to verse 31. Let's get into the dream interpretation. Daniel says, Your majesty, look, and there before you sit a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck down the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over, ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. So our third point is simply this. There is a God in heaven, and he is sovereign over all things, including the nations. In Job 12, 23, it says that God makes the nations rise and fall. Even the most powerful leaders and nations in this world in history rise and fall because God allows them to. Nobody is more powerful than God. This is a humble reminder to find our security, our hope, our identity in God, and not in the things, the powers, the nations of this world. 
As Christians, our identity is to be first and foremost found in God, not a leader, a party, or a nation. This is also a great source of comfort for the Christian. Our world is uncertain. Our leaders fail us. Our politics are a circus. The threats are great, but we find our hope and our peace and the reality that God holds it all in his hands. He is greater and he alone has power over the nations. So no matter what is going on in our world, we can find our hope and our trust in God. And we can know that he is good and that his plans are greater and better. And we see God's sovereignty in the rest of this interpretation. Verse 39. After you, Nebuchadnezzar, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked of clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture. It will not remain united any more than iron mixes clay. So we saw it clearly that the first kingdom, the head of gold, is Babylon. It is Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon was the world's first superpower, and it was mightier than anything this world had ever seen. It was an impressive kingdom even by today's standards. Historian Herodotus wrote that never in his life had he seen such an abundance of gold. It was said that Nebuchadnezzar's throne was made of solid gold. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, built a wall around Babylon, the city, that stretched for 56 miles and in places was over 80 feet wide and 300 feet high. Babylon was the world's first superpower, and it felt like it would reign forever. But after that head of gold, we have a chest uh, and arms made of silver. This represents the Medo-Persian Empire, which would conquer Babylon. We're actually going to see the Medes and the Persians. We're going to see them conquer Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. And here we see two body parts, the chest and the arms, which represents the two kingdoms, Media from the north and Persia from the east. And they united to overthrow Babylon in 539 B.C. From there, interpretations divide to some degree, although most go with the interpretation I'm going to share with you this morning. But that being said, the interpretation is really less important than the truth it is revealing. And the truth is revealing is that God is sovereign and he causes nations to rise and fall. And the truth is no nation is greater or will last other than the kingdom of God. So the next thing we see is the, the belly and thighs that are made of bronze. And most scholars believe that this represents Greece, the superpower that would conquer the Medo-Persian Empire around 220, 220 B.C., led by Alexander the Great. An interesting note on this is that Alexander's armies pioneered the use of bronze in their weaponry. Greek soldiers wore bronze helmets. Their chariots had bronze on them. Their shields and even their swords uh, were made of bronze, which perhaps explains the bronze symbol uh, symbol imagery here in the dynasty. Next, we have the legs of iron, which scholars mostly agree represents uh, Rome, the kingdom that conquered Greece in 63 B.C. And why would they use iron, or why would God reveal it as iron? Well, iron was considered to be the strongest of all the metals. This was supposed to prophesy something about Rome's strength. And sure enough, scholars say Rome's military took strength to a new level. 
shown by the fact that they held their empire for centuries, uh, several centuries. Uh, Babylon, we saw it there, they ruled for 70 years. The Medo-Persians ruled for about 200 years. The Greeks for about 200 years. But the Roman Empire lasted for more than 500 years in the West and 1,500 years in the East. It seemed like that the Roman Empire would never end. But we now know that even the powerful Roman Empire falls just like every nation and empire in history. And finally, we're left with this mixture of iron and clay. How would the Roman Empire fall? Well, it would be shattered into different kingdoms and nations. It would fall to multiple nations and groups of people who were far less powerful on their own, but yet they would conquer the great Roman Empire. But again, the interpretation is fascinating, but it's far less important than the principle it is teaching us. And the principle it's teaching us is that God is sovereign and he is sovereign. And that God is sovereign and he is sovereign and he holds even the most powerful empires, nations, people, and leaders in his hands. And so because of that, our hope should rest in him alone. And we see that in verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. God's kingdom will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. So here in these verses, we get the most important truth. The most powerful kingdom of God. The rock that comes and destroys all the others is the kingdom of God. The text directly says that. And when Jesus showed up, he made it clear in Matthew 21, 41, that this rock was coming from heaven, and it was a picture of him. And there's so much imagery here. First, the, the stone was made without human hands. It came with no human agency. Throughout the scriptures at multiple points, God made it clear that salvation would come to the world not by human hands, but it would come through God alone. Things created by man are perishable, but God's salvation is eternal. God would do it all. So like this stone, Jesus would be made without human hands. He was born of a virgin. The second thing we see is the rock is the least valuable substance in this dream. Granite, sandstone, basalt are much less valuable than gold, silver, bronze, or even iron. Yet this rock came with the power of God. And so it shattered into dust those expensive metals. This represented how Jesus would come, not with all the pomp and circumstance of the world, but instead he was born poor. He never owned a home. He never raised an army. He was no head of gold. Yet he came with the death-defying power of God. Third, in this dream, the rock started small, but eventually it grew into a gigantic mountain that filled the whole earth. That's the same thing Jesus said about his kingdom in Matthew 13. His kingdom would start small like a seed, but eventually it would multiply and cover every part of the earth. And we're seeing this fulfilled today. Jesus' kingdom began with 12 mediocre men in Jerusalem, but now his kingdom covers the world. Revelation tells us this will be completely fulfilled. In Revelation 7, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's kingdom covers the whole earth, and there will be followers from every nation, from every tribe from every people and language standing before the throne worshiping him. 
the nations, the powers, the leaders of this world will come and go. But Daniel tells us in this vision that God's kingdom, his salvation, his people will reign and live forever. And really, this is the main point of the dream for us today. We, you and I, we have a choice. Will we invest our lives in building our own kingdom here on earth? That like Nebuchadnezzar will eventually fade, will be crushed, will blow away. Or will we spend our time trusting God and investing our lives in God's kingdom that will reign forever? Will we place our faith, our hope, our eternity in the things, the pursuits, the kingdoms of this world? Or will we place our faith, our eternity, our lives in the hands of Almighty God who will reign forever? Let's look again at verses 34 and 35. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold were broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the, the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. The main thing we get from this is that the things, the powers, the people deemed important in this world will be swept away, but the kingdom of God will last for eternity. And God and his love has made a way for you to join his kingdom and to live with him for eternity in heaven. And that way is Jesus and Jesus alone. So today we have to ask the question, have you ever trusted Jesus with your life? Have you placed your faith in Jesus and the God of the universe? Or have you placed your faith in a temporary kingdom that will be forgotten? The Bible tells us that Jesus loves you, that he died the death your sin deserves, and he invites you to follow after him and join his kingdom. His kingdom that is built upon the rock that is unchanging and offers, offers a life of meaning and purpose that will last for eternity. So where have you placed your future and your faith? Have you placed it in the hands of man or your own hands? Or have you trusted your life to Jesus who will reign forever? All right, last thing I want to see is in verses 46 and 47. It reads, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you are able to reveal this mystery. And we're going to see this in the coming weeks, but Nebuchadnezzar here is not yet a follower of God. But through Daniel's courage and faithfulness, God is revealing himself, and he is working in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And so our final point today is this. When we shine for God or when we have courage for God in Babylon, God will move. When we faithfully live for God in this world, when we faithfully proclaim his hope and his truth to the world, God will honor that faithfulness and he will move. God uses the faithful witness of Daniel, of Meshach, of Abednego, of Shadrach to draw people to himself. And not just people, but he is drawing the king to himself. In the same way today, God uses the faithful witness of people like you and me to draw people to faith in himself. He uses the faithful witness of people like you and I to lead people to forgiveness and eternal life in himself. God's kingdom will prevail. It is the only thing that will last for eternity. And he has called you and I to join him in the mission of calling people from this world to life and forgiveness in him for eternity. 
You and I here in Babylon, here in the world, have been given the mission, the call to proclaim God's wisdom in a world of foolishness. To proclaim God's power in a world of frailty. And to proclaim God's love, forgiveness, and life in a world of death and defeat. You and I have been given the beautiful opportunity to lead our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers to the one true God. The one true God that knows them, that loves them, and offers forgiveness and eternal life to them. And when we do that, when we courageously and compassionately stand for God and proclaim his hope in this world, God will move and he will save. In this story, God used Daniel's faithfulness to save the lives of those wise men who had been condemned to death. God used Daniel's faithfulness to reveal himself to the king. And God will use our faithfulness to save and call many to himself today. Our call, our responsibility is to shine and faithfully proclaim how good our God is. And as we do that, he will uphold his role, which is to save. This is such an incredible passage of scripture that reveals who God is in this world. How he alone is God and how he alone is worthy of our praise and worship. There is a God in heaven, and he alone is God. As Melinda comes, I think there are a few different places that we could be this morning. And so in just a second as she plays, I'm just going to ask us all to bow our heads and to respond. But first, uh, the first question we have to ask is, where does your hope, where does your future lie? Have you placed your faith in the world and wealth and personal accomplishments and friends and politics? Or have you placed your faith in Jesus? The Bible says it quite clearly that it is Jesus alone uh, that offers hope and eternal life. It is in Jesus alone. It is in the, it is the kingdom of God alone that will be standing for eternity. So is your hope found in something that is temporary? Or is it found in something that is eternal? If you've never trusted Jesus with your life today, you can place your faith in him and join the kingdom of God. You can pray with a surrendered heart, something as simple as, God, I know that I have sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. But I believe that you sent Jesus to live the sinless life I couldn't live. I believe he died the death my sin deserved. And I believe he rose victorious over death and offers that life to me. God, I want to surrender and I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. The Bible says you pray something with a surrendered heart is something as simple as that. You will be forgiven. But maybe that's not you and you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and, and you are looking, you're in a place where you are looking for answers. You're looking for solutions. You are looking for hope. Where are you looking? Nebuchadnezzar in this story, that was him. He was looking for answers. He was looking for hope, but he looked to the things of the world. Is that you? Are you searching, but you're looking in the wrong place? Would you today, would you pray and surrender and ask God who created all things, who will be eternal, ask him for the answers you need. Ask him for answers and gather a few friends to pray with you for his wisdom and his power in his life. Then lastly, what is it you are living for? What does your life honor, proclaim, and give glory to? Does your life honor, proclaim, and give glory to yourself or to something of this world that will fade away? Or does your life honor, proclaim, and give glory to God who will reign forever? If you're someone that has invested your life in this world, would you, would you put your faith in him and begin living a life that proclaims his goodness to those around you?
I'm going to pray for us, and Melinda's going to play. And as she plays, I'd ask you just bow your head uh, and pray with God. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, that you alone are God. We thank you that you are alive in heaven, and we can know that. We thank you that you are wise, and you are powerful, and you are eternal. We thank you that despite that, you sent Jesus. He died the death that our sin deserved to rise victorious over death and through him offer eternal life in heaven with you. God, I pray if there's anyone here or watching online that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that they would surrender their lives today, that they would trust their eternity to you, that they would live their lives for your glory instead of their own. And God, for the rest of us here that are followers, Lord, I pray that you would reveal those areas in our lives where we are living for the temporary. That you would reveal those areas in our life where we are searching for answers and things that simply do not hold the answers. God, and I pray that you would give us the courage and the wisdom to turn to you. And God, I pray that as we turn to you, that you would provide all that we need, that you would provide the answers just as you did for Daniel. God, I pray that we would find our hope and our future and our purpose and our mission in you alone. God, would you help us to be a people that invest and live our lives for your kingdom as opposed to our own. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. God, I pray that we would find our purpose in you alone. It's your name we pray. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you uh, for being here. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Um, if you are new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the vicinity of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it on the box on the back table, we would appreciate it. Uh, it's also you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Um, in terms of announcements, we have a small group that meets here on Sunday nights from 6 to 7. Uh, it's just Bible study. We'd love for you to join us for that. If you have questions, you can talk to me. And then we have youth group and kids night that meet here on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7. If you have questions, you can also see me or see Justin, um, and we'd love to uh, help you with that. So thank you so much for being here today. We hope and pray that you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you here again next week. Mm -hmm.